We read together to remind us of where we are going, that is towards Jesus, allowing the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the family of God to form a fidelity of allegiance to him alone. Please read aloud with me as we confess this together. We believe the gospel is the good news that God our Father, the Creator, out of his great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin, Satan, death, and hell, and to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, to establish his kingdom through his people who participate in loyal allegiance in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is for God's great glory and our profound joy. Well, good morning. If you're just joining, we're uh, glad you're here. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to get to open the Word of God and share some things with you. Let's go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And uh, if you want to follow along but don't maybe have a printed copy of Scripture with you, that's all right. Uh, There's a QR code on the screen you can scan with your phone, and it'll take you to a spot where you can follow along and take some notes. And uh, while you're making your way to Matthew 11, I'm going to give you three things real fast. Number one, the XO conference is coming up in just a couple weeks. Uh, It's going to be here before you know it. If you are married, I definitely want you to be there. If you're dating and moving towards engagement or you are engaged, you definitely should make plans to be there. It's a one-day event, and it will absolutely pay dividends again and again and again in your relationship. That is, if you want to stay married and be happy as as you do it. Just saying. Uh, so be here, get registered. It's going to be a great time. The other thing I want to let you know is coming up at the end of the month, we have water baptism. We love helping people take their next step in following Jesus and giving their allegiance to him. And so if you've never gone public in your commitment to follow Jesus, this is your chance to do it. Stop by, get that stuff signed up. And then finally, I want to let you know that in September, starting September 4th, the very first Sunday or Sunday in September, We are beginning new service times. We really believe that it's time to make room for some more people, uh, ready to make room for the the Spirit to kind of move. And we really want to make room for time and margin to have relationships before and after service. And so we're adjusting our service times to allow those things to take place. New service times are going to be 9 a.m. Everybody say 9 a.m. And 10.45 a.m. Say 10.45 a.m. Some of you are really excited. You've done the math and you're like, wait, that means I might get out early enough on the second service to still get kickoff in. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I'm just saying it's a great, great time to be alive, friends. It's a great time to be alive. Matthew chapter 11, we are continuing this collection of sermons around this theme of the King Jesus gospel, the gospel that Jesus himself proclaimed and the teachings that he taught, the good news that he brought. We want to know what the the good news is that Jesus preached so that we don't end up believing a gospel Jesus did not preach. So we're starting with what Jesus has said and done. And so we're starting uh, so far, Matthew chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 25. This is what the scriptures say. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus prayed, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. 
Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father. And no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, come to me all of you who are weary and carry a heavy burden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my burden I give you is light. We're going to keep reading into verse 12. At about the same time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to break off some heads of grain and began to eat them. But some of the Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read the scriptures that David, when he was hungry, what he and his companions did? He went into the house of God and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And then Jesus went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked him, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes and they could bring a charge against him. And Jesus answered them, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored just like the other one. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, you are Lord over the Sabbath. And you desire to be Lord over everything in our lives. So Lord, help us to walk in that same humility and recognition and surrender. We pray this in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, and the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Some of you are about to date yourself, and that's okay. We can all be humble and acknowledge certain things in our lives. Uh, how many of you uh, can tell me what uh, the, the letters T-G-I-F stand for? Come on, if you hear me sh shout it out, go ahead, talk to me. Talk to me, T-G-I-F, what does it mean? Yeah, thank God it's Friday. Thank God it's Friday. You're like, yeah, but it's Sunday and Monday's coming, Pastor. That's a mean, mean thing to say. T-G-I-F. Have you ever heard the phrase that I'm just working for the weekend? Like the whole point of why I work is so that I can play hard and enjoy the weekend. Like I just can't wait until it's Friday at five o'clock because I'm living and working for the weekend. You know, we have a, a society here in the West that really does glorify the weekend, don't we? We glorify the weekend. But yet I can't help but wonder how many of us are squandering the weekend. 
We're not stewarding the weekend. We're just squandering the weekend. Did you know that it, uh, in 1908, it was a New England mill. They became the first to institute, uh, as an American factory, to institute the five-day work week. 1908. It was primarily because there were some Jewish laborers who wanted to take Sabbath sundown Friday to sundown Saturday and they wanted to take that time off and so as a result they instituted this work day, this five day work day or five day work day week and the mills granted these Jewish workers this two day weekend and other factories eventually followed the same example. In fact in the Great Depression um, most of the American workforce cemented this idea of a a two-day weekend, and they did it thinking that shorter hours were considered a remedy to the underemployment that was being experienced in, in the world. It was here in America that they decided, let's do this work day and this weekend, this two-day weekend, to give our laborers some time to take a breath and catch a beat and move forward. Friends, do you realize that we serve the God who invented the weekend? See, Jesus did all of his work, and, and we see in the Genesis narrative how on the sixth day, God completed his work, and on the seventh day, he rested. And then he said, the Sabbath is to be holy. It is to be set apart. It is to be distinct. It is to be kept as a special day for the Lord. It's a day for, for the Lord. We, we serve the God who, who wants to give us rest. In fact, before Adam and Eve ever named an animal... They took a Sabbath. Before they ever produced anything, they took a Sabbath. There was something that from the beginning of time, a cadence and a rhythm that God wanted to give and build into his people this idea of resting and then working, resting and then working, resting and then working, and it was made to be holy. So many of us love the weekend, but we show up on Monday more tired than when we left on Friday. We've kind of squandered what it is that God has given and what has been recognized like, like, like we have the opportunity. So many of our jobs have given us this, this opportunity. One of the, you've heard me talk about this before, that, that one of the uh, top grossing restaurants in all of the United States shuts down their entire operation on Sunday. And I couldn't be more mad about it. Because you never want Chick-fil-A more than you want it on a Sunday. But they've done it and God has continued to bless. Why? Because there was something about the Sabbath that God says is holy and it's set apart. A.J. Swoboda in his book Subversive Sabbath writes like this. He says, our time-saving devices, technological conveniences, and cheap mobility have seemingly made life much easier and interconnected. As a result, though, we have more information at our fingertips than anyone in history. Yet with all this progress, we are ominously dissatisfied. In bowing at these sacred altars of hyperactivity, progress, and technological compulsivity, our souls are increasingly panting for meaning and value as truth of our spirits are thirsting for them. We wither away exhausted, frazzled, displeased, and even over the edge, our bodies begin to wear ragged. 
We have an inability to simply sit still and be, and we are drowning ourselves in a 24-7 living. We seem to be able to do anything but quench our true thirst for the life of God. The result is that we have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, and spiritually malnourished people in history. But yet we have two days given to our recreation and our rest. But yet we're not rested. We're restless. I wonder if if it's because we are squandering what we were meant to steward. Jesus said it like this. It's near impossible for the wealthy to see the kingdom of God and enter into it. I wonder if it's because there's the wealthy tend to be a little bit greedy and we're always trying to squeeze a little bit more, get a little bit more, go after a little bit more, have a little bit more, do one more meeting, one more thing, have one more event, have one more tournament, do one more thing to squeeze some success and life and make life feel the fullest that it's ever filled and we just want one more, one more, one more. And because of this dissatisfaction in our lives we have the inability to fully receive a gift that God meant to give us you know in 1908 the people who got upset that the Jews were getting permission to have Sabbath were the American Christians they began to get upset that I mean come on why, why, why aren't we working we got to work these other days. It's Sunday, by the way, people. That's the only day we need off. Let's go. What are you thinking? And they got upset. Who were the people that were getting upset that Jesus was doing something restorative and restful and helpful on the Sabbath? It was the religious leaders who misunderstood the gift that was the Sabbath, and they turned it into a laborious task of a bunch of rules and regulations to where it sucked the very life that God was trying to give us as a gift. I think sometimes in our own world, if I'm going to be completely honest, uh, when it comes to this area of time management and our ability to stop and rest, we really don't like to talk about it. We really don't like, we, I mean, let's be honest, like nobody wants the preacher to talk about money. Nobody wants the preacher to talk about sex. Nobody wants the, the preacher to talk to them about their weekend and what they do with their time. But I wonder if the reason why we become so uncomfortable with it is because we don't know how to steward what God gave us as a gift. See, we think if we just had more time, that would fix it. But more time isn't a remedy for bad time management. More money isn't a remedy for bad money management. That's not how you got to learn how to manage better what you do have rather than just thinking if more of what I had, then it would be better. No, you just have more problems and more to squander. We all have been given the gift of these times and God had built into the rhythm of our world this idea of resting and then working, resting and then working. Jesus said it like this, that he, the son of man, is Lord over the Sabbath. 
How many of you would agree Jesus needs to be the Lord of our life? Go ahead. This is not a trick question, but you know I'm leading you down to a dead end road. It's going to be a lot of fun for me. Yeah, I know. I know. You're like, I don't like this. This feels a little trickstery. I know. I just go with it. It's fun. Jesus, we need him to be Lord. Yeah, but Lord, not, not Lord over my money. Uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. Jesus, you get to be Lord of my life, but not over my schedule and my weekend. It's my weekend. It's, I get to do what I want with my... Some of us are living restless lives because we have never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus in the area of our time. We want to be Lord over the weekend. We want to be Lord over our days and what we do. And we have yet to experience this dimension of Jesus' Lordship in our life. And Jesus is saying, if you want to see the kingdom of God, there is something that awaits you that is meant to bring restorative rest to your weary soul. But many of us just keep ignoring it because we're too busy chasing experiences that we never encounter the Lordship of Jesus. And today I'm on assignment to help us understand some things. I want us to understand that Jesus came to give us rest within our life, not escape from our life and burdens. We, we think that way though. We think that what we need is to be able to escape. I need a vacation. Listen, one time a year vacation will not be the remedy to a life that squanders normal rhythms of rest. You were meant to every day get away with the Lord and every week have a day of rest with the Lord. And when you squander those things time and time again, one week's vacation will not remedy a lifestyle that is out of rhythm. And we miss it. And Jesus says, I've come to give you rest. He didn't say, I've come to remove your burdens. He said, I came to give you rest within the context of the life in which you experience your burdens. He says, I've come to actually give you something to carry. I came to give you something to walk with. But you need to recognize that there is a rest within our life, not an escape from our life and our burdens that Jesus came, came to give us. I said it already, but I wonder if the reason Jesus said it was difficult for the wealthy to experience the kingdom of God is simply because the the wealthy are too consumed and driven by greed instead of able to simply accept the gift of rest, refusing to acknowledge their need for it because they would rather and we would rather be our self-made man. We are our own person. I made it on my own. I did it my way. We we think that that's what it means to live our life and to do our life. Notice Jesus said that all of these things have been hidden. The entire kingdom of God is hidden. Except for the little children. Except for those who are willing to come and acknowledge that they are burdened and they are weary. Those are the ones Jesus is calling. Jesus and the kingdom are coming and making itself available and aware to those who recognize like a child, I am completely helpless to meet my own needs. Isn't that true? The younger your kids are, the more helpless they are. And you think that the older they get, the less helpless they become. They just become more expensive. That's really kind of how that works. 
But there is an element of childlike faith that absolutely does not have a problem. There's a lot of double negatives in that sentence. I apologize. But there is something about a child that is easy to live with and has no problem acknowledging I need mom and dad. I, I need someone bigger than me, greater than me, who can provide for me. What happens? And Jesus says, that's for those who want to see the kingdom. And until we are willing to surrender even in ourselves and say, I need to recognize that I need rest within my life and I can't get rest on my own. I need Jesus to help me with that. I need the Lord of the Sabbath to restore my soul. And until we come to a place where we acknowledge that the kingdom of God is only available for those who recognize their need for God, we don't see the kingdom of God. If we are continuing to acknowledge and live with a mindset that says we are our source and we are our own strength, then you have yet to be awakened to your need for God, sir. And ma'am, that's right, you will have a hard time receiving and walking in the salvation of God until you come to a moment of surrender and realize you need to think like a child thinks and depend on God like a child depends on God and recognize that the burdens you carry, you aren't strong enough to carry them. And we come to him and find rest for our souls. Jesus came to give us rest within our life, not escape from our lives and our burdens. Uh, here's another observation that I had from today's text about the kingdom of God. And that's simply this, that Jesus came to fulfill the law, not remove it. Yes, the idea that Sabbath rest and Sabbath keeping, it's a part of the law. It's true. But remember, the Sabbath was introduced way before the law ever showed up. And Jesus said I, I, he came uh, that, that he would fulfill the law. In fact, in Hebrews, Hebrews 3 and 4 tells us again and again that there is a rest, a Sabbath rest available for us now and in the future. See that when we practice keeping Sabbath in our own lives, when we practice keeping Sabbath in our lives and we let Jesus be the Lord over our weekend, and we recognize that that time of rest belongs to him. It's an act of worship before him. It's an act of surrender and acknowledging him as Lord in our life. And when we do those things, when we live that way and we give him that, that place, that spot of honor, we give him our rest. Hebrews says that we experience it now and it's a foretelling prophetic word of what will come in the end. In other words, when you intentionally stop and stop producing and stop working, in your effort and, and you practice Sabbath keeping in your life, you are doing the work of an evangelist. Telling the world around you of who Jesus is now and what Jesus will do in the life and the world to come later. You join Jesus in the work of evangelism. 
But I think it's important that we realize Jesus came to fulfill the law, not remove the law. We talked about this in the very, very beginning of this collection, where Jesus came to complete the circle. He came to fulfill what was missing. Jesus' good news that he announced was one events that are occurring, and it was something that had to be announced. It was the completion of a story. Jesus showed up to complete the story of the children of Israel, that everything that was lacking and that they were trying to do in their own, now Jesus came and did in his own strength and gave them as a precious gift to invite them into a right relationship with Jesus. See, the the goal of the law, the goal of Jesus fulfilling the law was to help us learn how to relate properly to God. And Jesus says, I'm going to complete the circle and help you learn how to abide in a relationship with the Father. That's always connected, always available, always there. And that's why Jesus said, hey, listen, I've come to teach you and my yoke is easy. My yoke is easy. No, no, yoke is uh, uh, um, typically a rabbi or a teacher would uh, said to have had their own yoke. In other words, their own way of teaching or their own teachings that they brought. And Jesus was saying, this yoke that I'm teaching you, it's easy, it's, it's light. In other words, it's still something that you have to carry. Because the teachings of Jesus aren't so simplistic that remove you from any activity. No, no, it's still something that you have to carry. We still have to answer to our level of obedience to what Jesus taught us. There's still some weight to that. The yoke that they would put on oxen would be this crossbar that would go across the oxen that would help them pull and move and drive and plow in their life. And Jesus was saying, the yoke that I want to put on you, it's lighter than the other people's. It's lighter than the other teachings. It's lighter than the law, but it is an absent of weight. Friends, today, by virtue of you being here, And hearing this message, you are now accountable for what you do in response to this truth. We all are. Because now we have a decision. Either we're going to be obedient to carry the teachings of Jesus or we're not. It's not just sweet pie in the sky. It was was about this understanding that Jesus was telling us there is a proper way to relate to God. A way to relate to God where you no longer have to strive to earn your place. You just simply get to abide in the relationship with Christ. You don't have to produce the results, but you do get to participate and partner with the Spirit who does the producing. In other words, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because Jesus was saying, I'm going to do the heavy lifting. And you get to come along with me for the ride. And Jesus does the heavy lifting in our salvation. Jesus does the heavy lifting in our sanctification. Jesus and the Spirit of God does the heavy lifting in our growth and our salvation. But we still get to participate. We still get to abide in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not remove it entirely. The other thing I thought was interesting was that when you begin to understand this, that the principle of the Sabbath is actually just teaching us how to properly relate to God and to others. When, when you learn the principles of Sabbath, and I'm, I'm going to share with you three ways in how you keep Sabbath here in just a minute. I'm going to give you a definition for Sabbath here in just a minute, but, but I want you to understand that the principle of the Sabbath is teaching you how to relate properly to God and to others. I can't help but wonder if so many of us have a problem in our relationships 
around us because we're just too exhausted to do it right. We've been burned too many times. We don't feel like we have the time to love well. But I wonder if the reason we don't have time is because we have yet to really consider this idea that Jesus wants to be Lord over the Sabbath. How we need daily space and weekly rhythms of disconnecting from our productivity to just simply connect in an abiding relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. See, Sabbath is a time when we intentionally engage with God and the blessing of his abundance in our lives while we disconnect from the duty and the demands of life. That's what Sabbath is. So when I say Sabbath, I'm not necessarily talking about a legalistic 24-hour period that starts sundown on Friday and concludes sundown on Saturday. That may not be the right rhythm for you. It's not when you practice Sabbath, it's that you do practice Sabbath. And when I say practice Sabbath, this is what I mean. It's a time when we intentionally engage with God and the blessings of his abundance in our lives while we disconnect from the duty and the demands of life. Don't miss the big picture that the author in the Gospel of Matthew is trying to communicate to us. Number one, realize that when these Gospels and these scrolls were written, they weren't written with verses and chapter breaks. We added those in, editors and translators added those in there so that we could easily reference and find certain points of information and, and, and parts of the text. So, it's right to be able to read straight through a chapter break sometime. So don't miss what Matthew is trying to communicate within this gospel about the King Jesus gospel. Jesus came to give rest for those willing to acknowledge their inability. He tells an illustrative story about how Jesus being Lord on the Sabbath day was providing food to energize his disciples. He provided sustenance where they did not have. And then he tells a story about a restorative healing to a man who through this healing now gained a full ability to work at full strength. Why? Because Sabbath feeds our souls and it restores our strength for work. It's not an escape from anything. It's a rhythm of restorative and restful life of abundance in Jesus. It's really hard to work at full strength if you have one hand tied behind your back or withered. The healing of Jesus provided what he needed in order to now work at full strength. In other words, let me say it this way. We don't rest from our work. We rest for work. And Jesus, in practicing the Sabbath, when we apply these principles in some way to our lives and we have a rhythm of regularly stopping and resting, there is a reception of sustenance that we receive from Jesus and a restoration within us that allows us to keep carrying and moving in the life that he's called us to. Even when it feels burdensome and heavy 
When we stop and find rest, we get strength to move on. This is what the Sabbath is all about. And I think this is what Matthew was trying to articulate in his gospel. Jesus says, I want to give you rest. Come to me. And here's how. When you come to me, it looks like Sabbath. Where I feed you and I restore the strength that you need. I provide for you and I repair your soul. So so what does the Sabbath look like? Let me give you three things that the Sabbath I think looks like. Three principles on how we can Sabbath. How you can Sabbath, how I can Sabbath, whether it's for a few hours or half a day or a full 24-hour period of time, it, the length matters less than the intention behind it. Okay. So when you Sabbath, we, number one, we stop and we encounter the Father, Son, and the Spirit. We stop and encounter. Jesus prayed that we would know the Father in the end of Matthew chapter 11. Father, I pray that they would know you, but Lord, you've only revealed those to those who I've chosen. Who are the ones God chose? Those who choose to think and act like a child in the kingdom and those who are willing to acknowledge their neediness because of their burdens being too big and them being weary and coming to God. In other words, if you keep trying to man up in your life, you will keep missing the strength of God in your life. And when we Sabbath, we stop and we encounter the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This is why I think Isaiah 55, 12 is such a powerful verse for our students and our teachers and really our families this year. That we would go out in joy and be led in peace. It says, the mountains and the hills break before you. They shall break forth into singing, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. What is all of that poetic imagery? It's a poetic imagery of worshiping and enjoying the very presence of God. That's how. If you want joy and you want peace in your life, no matter what life is throwing at you, then when you practice Sabbath, stop and encounter the Father, Son, and the Spirit. There's something called practicing the presence. Practicing the presence is simply when you make an intentional decision to stop and give your attention and your affections to Jesus. That's it. So as you go about your life, as you sit in a moment, as you grab your cup of coffee and you look out and you see the sunrise, you just stop. And you practice the presence of God by just in this moment allowing your attention to be drawn to the beauty of who God is. Not the busyness that you have that day. Lord, I'm giving you my attention in this moment. I just want you. Nothing else. Nothing else. I just just need you. You can practice the presence of the Lord in five minutes before you walk into your work week, sitting in your car before you go to your first appointment, make your first sales call, go into the school, just practice the presence of God because it's in his presence that something restores us. What does Sabbath look like? It looks like we stop and we encounter the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Number two, what does Sabbath look like? It's when we stop our work and engage in restorative healing for what hinders our work. Some of you are trying to work so hard, you're actually working wounded. There's a 
verse in Ecclesiastes that says, if the ax is dull, the wise person stops and sharpens it. But a fool will be revealed by continuing to just muscle through it. That's my own paraphrase. In other words, Sabbath rest is when you intentionally stop from trying to produce something and you sharpen who you are. So you do things that reinvigorate you. You do things that are healing for your soul. You do things that fill your tank. You do things that that restore you on your day of Sabbath when you stop. You do things that restore you and you refuse to do the things that don't restore you. Like, like that's what you do. You stop trying to produce and you just sit and allow the spirit to fill you. So if, if, if you love to work in the garden, work in the garden. If you need to sleep, sleep. Take a nap. One of the most holy things you can do in the entire world is take a nap. It restores. Most of us don't get enough sleep every night. So when you come to the moment, the day, the half day in which you practice Sabbath, rest. Go play golf. Unless you get driven crazy by doing it, and then don't go play golf. It'll wound you more tight. That's not good. Go for a walk. Go on a date. Make love. Restore your soul. Refresh who you are. Why? Because it's a gift from God. He wants you to stop and restore your soul rather than keep wearing yourself out. Stop. Breathe. Engage in the activities that renew who you are. Read a book. Let the dishes pile up. Unless you're one of those weirdos that likes to crank up the music, have a dance party, and clean your house, and that's good for your soul. God bless you. Let me know when you need some help, and you can come to my house, and I'll allow your soul to be refreshed. Great. Stop trying to produce. I I had a conversation with a farmer in our church and a rancher, and they're like, oh, we really want to practice Sabbath, but like, like, like we kind of have to feed the cows. We have to like feed, like, but that's kind of work because that's our job. And how do we like, what? number one, I said, quit being legalistic. Do you feed your kids? Okay, so feed your cattle. It's fine. But don't go trying to repair your fence. That can wait for another day. Don't, don't try to do more things to produce more stuff. Just Enjoy the moment and practice the presence while you do it. Number three, what does Sabbath look like? We have to stop our busyness. Just the going, the busy, the things, the schedules of this, the that, the, the run the here, go to the here, go do this and this thing and that thing. And we have to stop our busyness so that we can enjoy the bounty and the beauty in our lives as we practice childlike delight. You know what the Jewish people do on Sabbath? They start by gathering with family and sometimes friends and they eat really good food and drink really good wine and just stop the rush and enjoy the moment. Just enjoy the beauty. Isaiah 26 says it like this. 
you will experience God's salvation on the mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples a banquet of aged wine the best meats and the finest wine see it's on the Sabbath that we do fun things we learn how to re-engage our child inner child and we just play and enjoy the day enjoy the moment the worries of tomorrow will be there but today we stop and we enjoy the bounty and the beauty of what God has given us Pastor John Ortberg said it like this, we must arrange life so that sin no longer looks good to us. And we often fall into the trap of believing that our faith is only about self-denial. But the other side of biblical delight is feasting on the goodness of God. On the Sabbath, we are reminded that Christians are called to order desserts and laugh until it hurts. That's what we do on the Sabbath. We experience the abundant joy that God promises us as we delight in the beauty and the bounty of all that he's blessed us with. And it fills us. Friends, final thought today. Remember, work is holy. God created Adam and Eve and he gave them an assignment. Gave them a job. Work is holy. Work is not the problem. Your inability to stop in Sabbath is the problem. Your inability to put your own boundaries and steward the gifts that God's given to you, those are the problem. Friends, work is holy. When we rest for our work instead of resting from our work, we get to show the world around us a rhythm of holy living that absolutely honors God. John Tyson in his book, Beautiful Resistance, said it like this, the maker of our bodies knows their limitations and what overwork can do to us. And that is one reason that from the beginning he impressed a rhythm of alternating work and rest into time. His regular rest is the Sabbath and we consider it outdated to our own peril. In a world of nonstop pursuit of achievement, men and women who are willing to let go of their tools, their computers, their equipment, and rest, not merely for self-care, but rather to retune our hearts to God's ultimate calling. Those people are going to stand out in a world. They're going to be a prophetic witness that having it all is really having nothing if we don't have a life. For followers of Jesus, rest is both our present reality and our destinies. Rest must resist exhaustion. And we do that by practicing the principles of Sabbath in our life. Is it possible that in a world where people can't do anything but overreact, in a world where people are constantly getting into debt, where people are constantly frazzled, and when you ask someone how they're doing, the normal response is busy. Is it possible that in a world like that, God is looking for his people to experience and demonstrate something radical that causes the entire world to engage in healthy relationship with others and with God again? I say yes. Lord, would you teach me how to Sabbath again? How to find rest 
for our souls. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you're If you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.